Welcome to the sermon podcast for Restoration Nazarene Church, where we encourage you to be the gospel today so that you can share the gospel tomorrow. Today we are starting a new series on the letter of James. And James, who wrote this letter, he was the brother of Jesus. And his primary focus for writing this letter is on living a Christian life. He says that our faith in Jesus Christ produces works or ways that we think, ways that we act, ways that we live. And this letter that he writes is full of advice on how Christians should live. And you all know by now that this is one of my favorite topics or questions to think about. How should Christians live? What should Christians look like in the world? How do we act like Jesus in our culture today? And this is what James is addressing throughout his letter. And over the last few months, I've had a few different conversations with people that all end up asking either a similar question or making a similar observation. And what they observe is that over the last year, my life and Amy's life she's not in the room right now, but mine and Amy's lives have been pretty rough, pretty chaotic. It has been one chaos after another. And so these people that I'm in conversation with, they they observe all of this or, or they tell me and they say, you know what? You're not the only Christian I know that has had a pretty rough life. But then they tell me that they look at their own life and they say, you know, now I personally don't follow Jesus, but yet my life has been pretty good. I've been given everything that I need. And so then they ask me, does becoming a Christian mean that someone's life gets worse? And then they say, and if it does, then why would I ever want to do that? And then they'll often say, if your God is real... And your God is supposed to be this loving God and this good God, then why doesn't he give you a better life? And it's a good question. Ultimately, it's the the question that falls in the same category of if God is a God of love, then why is there evil in the world? And this question has been asked by many different people from every generation for a very long time. And in fact, James is addressing this concept at the beginning of his letter. He begins his letter with a greeting like all good letters have in verse 1 of chapter 1, which reads, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. He identifies himself and he gives a greeting. He says, hello, but then he identifies his audience, those that would be receiving the letter for the first time. He identifies them as the 12 tribes. But then he adds something to it that in my opinion is a bit of a negative tone. He says that they are scattered among the nations. And that word scattered carries a bit of a negative tone. 
to it. He could have said, this is me, James, and I'm writing a letter to you. He could have said to the 12 tribes among the nations. He could have said to the 12 tribes around the world or just simply the 12 tribes. But instead, he says to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. And to know why James does this, it's important for us to understand the timeline of when this letter was written. This letter was most likely written in the 40s AD and Jesus died in the early 30s AD and then right after Jesus dies, shortly after the Holy Spirit comes and the Christian church grew from just a, a hundred people to several thousand people in Jerusalem and this explosion was wonderful but then it left them with all of these logistics to figure out of, of how they should live or what they should do. And, and I often try to imagine what it would have been like back there with all of the disciples that followed Jesus that are now leading the people. They are teaching everybody what Jesus says, but then they, they encounter something challenging or something new that they haven't encountered before. And I just, I imagine one of the disciples, let's, let's say Peter, Peter looks over at Matthew and says, hey, did you ask Jesus what we should do in this situation? And Matthew would respond and say, nope, that wasn't my job. You are supposed to ask Jesus what we should do in this situation. And I'm just imagining that, that they're all thinking like, oh no, we forgot to ask Jesus how to handle this situation. We were so preoccupied with who Jesus was and everything he was doing. Now what do we do? And in Acts chapter 2, it gives us this picture of the new community of believers. This picture is that they sold all of their possessions to give to the poor and those in need. And then they lived together, eating and learning about Jesus together. And then a few years later into this, this new community that they're creating in AD 35, Stephen He's out, he's preaching about Jesus and he is killed. They throw stones at him until he dies. And then when Stephen is killed, most of the Christians scatter. And at this point, there are Christians in Jerusalem that remain, but now there are also Christians that are beginning to scatter. Now they are starting to, to not only just scatter and live in other places, but now they are being hunted down and killed by the Jews. So now all of these, these Christians, they scatter to various parts of the world. They have already given away all of their money, which means that now they are poor and they don't have homes. And so now they enter into all of these new lands as foreigners, as outsiders. And because they are foreigners, they are not usually welcome where they go. They are not usually liked. And because they followed Jesus, they are now being hunted down by the other Jews and then eventually by the Romans. And so this is what is going on when James writes his letter. But yet, knowing how much they are suffering and struggling, he starts off with this negative tone of calling them the scattered people. But then he gets even Worse, in verse two, he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. 
It's almost like he doesn't care about their problems or their suffering and just simply says, wow, you are all so lucky to be able to suffer the way that you do. So either he knows something that they don't know or he just has no people skills whatsoever. And now he doesn't identify, he doesn't tell us what all of these trials are. He doesn't tell us specifically what they are going through. He just says that these trials come in many kinds. And he does this because he is writing to many different people who all have different struggles or trials. And this word that James uses for trials can also be translated as temptations. Meaning this, this church, this new church, they were all suffering because of the trials that, they, that are happening or their circumstances around them, but they're also suffering because of their own temptations. And the same is true for us today. We all face trials of many kinds. And sometimes those trials are easier. Sometimes people have an easier life than other people do. Sometimes these trials are very hard. But not only trials are what we face, we also face temptations. And these come in various kinds as well. And notice in what we just read that James says the word whenever. He doesn't say if this happens. He doesn't say if you happen to experience a trial or if you happen to experience temptation. He says when this happens, when you face a trial, when you face a temptation, you consider it pure joy because we all have faced trials. And we all will face trials in the future. And many of us are facing trials right now. But James doesn't give us much of, a, a, of an option here other than the fact that he gives us a choice to make. He says you don't get to control if or when trials happen. But you do get to control how you respond to what happens. He says we can either respond with anger, saying that it's unfair. We can blame other people. We can even blame God. He says that we could even become like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh that walks around moping saying, woe is me. I was so upset. I forgot to be happy. Right? Anybody? No? Nobody Eeyore? James says we can, we can be angry. We could be mopey all the time. Or... We could consider it joy. But the way that James writes this, it could be better translated as this. Begin to consider being joyful whenever you encounter various kinds of trials. Meaning that we have a choice and we should consider choosing joy over sorrow. And the fact that James has to even say this means that it is not easy. It does not come naturally to us for us to be joyful. That, that is unnatural for us to be joyful through the pain. And so we must make an intentional choice to be joyful. Now, this doesn't mean that we have to be fake. This doesn't mean that we can't be angry or sad. It doesn't mean that we can't suffer or that we have to lie when people ask us how we are doing. Choosing to be joyful in the middle of the trial and the pain means that you choose to see the bright side of things. 
Someone at work this week was a little annoyed with me. She came up as she does almost every day and she asked, how are you feeling today? And before I could even answer the question, she said, and don't you say that you are okay? And, and I, she said that because my answer is usually I'm, I'm okay. I usually answer, I'm, I'm okay today. I'm not as great as I could be, but I could be much, much worse. So therefore, I'm just okay right in the middle. And so I responded to her and I said, fine, then I'm mediocrely fine. I could be much better, but I could be much, much worse. And it's a small way that I am choosing to find joy in the middle of the suffering. I am choosing to see the bright side because it could be much, much worse. And James encourages us to choose joy. And then he tells us why this is important. Verses three through four. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James says that the reason that we should begin to find joy in our problems is because when we choose joy, we will persevere. And when perseverance has a chance to finish its work in us, meaning that we don't give up, he says that when it has a chance to, to complete its work in us, then we become mature and complete, not lacking anything. And this word perseverance loses some of its meaning when we translate it into English. The word that James uses here for perseverance was also the same word used to describe the process of refining metals. Think of the way that silver is, is mined and refined. Silver is usually found in caves. And so to get to it, you have to break off the wall of the cave and they, they break off in these chunks of, of ore which have silver in it, but also a whole bunch of other stuff that they don't want. So then they take these big ores of silver and they put it in a big crusher where they crush and they crush and they crush, making it into smaller and smaller pieces. And then it is grinded down until it is in this small powder. And then they take this powder and they put it through various filters and chemicals to begin separating out the silver from all of the unwanted stuff. And eventually they are left with mostly this silver dust but there are still waste mixed in that they call impurities. And so then to get it out, they take all of this dust and they melt it in intense heat and they pour it into these big moldings. And when they pour all of this melted stuff into these, these moldings, the silver settles to the bottom and all the impurities come to the top for the silversmith to then scrape away and just get rid of it. And then it continues this process. Once they remove all of the silver, that they cool it and it hardens into this silver bar, but they still are not done. They have to continue this process over and over again, melting it again and again to continue scraping away all the impurities that are inside of the silver to completely refine it so that eventually it is nice and shiny and we can make fun jewelry out of it. This is the word that James uses when he talks about how we must persevere through our struggles. 
Because when we persevere, all of our impurities boil up to the surface to then be thrown away. Malachi 3.3, referring to God, says that he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. And here, James is describing the same thing, that like silver or other metals, we as humans, we go through a similar refining process of being put through trials, like intense heat or intense pressure that just crushes us down over and over again. But through persevering, we grow and we mature. The impurities in us are removed and we come out stronger and more pure. Pearl sent me a story of this group of women that they were doing this Bible study about this concept that God is the refiner. And so they, they tracked down a silversmith to, to learn more about this process of, of refining silver. And this is how the story reads that she sent me. As she watched the silversmith, he held a piece of silver over the fire and let it heat up. He explained that in refining silver, one needed to hold the silver in the middle of the fire where the flames were hottest as to burn away all the impurities. The woman thought about God holding us in such a hot spot. Then she thought again about the verse that God sits as a refiner and purifier of silver. She asked the silversmith if it was true that he had to sit there in front of the fire the whole time the silver was being refined. And the man answered yes, and then explained that he not only had to sit there holding the silver, but he had to keep his eyes on the silver the entire time it was in the fire. Because if the silver was left even a moment too long in the flames, it would be damaged. The women were silent for a moment. Then she asked the silversmith, so how do you know when the silver is fully refined? He smiled at her and answered, oh, that's easy, when I can see my image in it. In the same way, we are being made into the image of God. And we go through a refining process. Sometimes we are in intense heat and we ask, God, how much longer? But the purpose is for us to reflect the image of God. And so James, with full confidence, says that we should consider it joy when we face trials because we are being further made into the image of God. And therefore, we should begin to be joyful in those situations because over time, by persisting in our faith, we will become mature and complete and not lack anything that we need because God is with us and he will help us endure any trial that we face. But this then presents us with a slight problem. If God is the refiner that is refining us, then does that mean that God is the one to blame when we are in situations of intense heat, when we are in situations where we're being crushed? Is God the one to blame when we are going through something beyond what we can handle? Or what about when we are being tempted to sin? Is God then the one that is tempting us? 
This goes back to the question that people often ask of why God allows bad things to happen to good people. And James addresses this concern rather quickly. Jump down to verse 13. James says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. James says that God is not to blame. God does not tempt anyone. God has nothing to do with evil. And then James helps us understand how temptation actually occurs. He says it begins with our own desire. Now desire by itself is not bad. It is okay to desire things. We desire food. We desire to be happy. We desire friendships. Desire by itself is not bad. But desire becomes bad when it is an unhealthy or evil desire. And then when we act upon that unhealthy evil desire. Because when we act on that evil desire, then it becomes sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. James gives us this image of how it begins with this evil desire that is inside of us. I imagine like a seed or like a woman that is pregnant with a baby inside of them. It, it begins with this thing inside of us, but then when it comes out, when we act upon that sin through our actions, we then give birth to sin. And I imagine now this little baby sin, all so cute, and what's one itty bitty little sin? It's not that big of a deal, right? Just this little one. And then that little baby sin then grows into a full adult sin, which then gives birth to death. James is helping these early Christians and us understand that sin comes from our own desires. It does not come from God. Sin is not something that is forced on people. What James is saying is that to avoid sin, we then need to understand its development. Because if we think about it, if there is no desire, if sin is completely gone, or I'm sorry, if desire is completely gone and not there, then there can be no temptation, period. But instead, we do have desire, therefore temptation can come. And James does not recommend that we try to live a life where we remove desire from us. He doesn't tell us that we need to become monks and live a life with no desire whatsoever. Instead, James says that we have to seek God for the strength that he provides us in order to create boundaries that will help us stay away from situations in which our desires can give birth to sin. The truth is that we all go through trials. We all suffer various points in our life. Sometimes those trials are in the form of life circumstances, health issues, financial issues, social issues, family issues. And sometimes those trials are in the form of temptations because we all have desires. 
Some desires are good and some desires are evil. The people that James was writing to, they were suffering. They were experiencing many different types of trials and temptation. And it's no different to us today because today many of us are suffering in the same ways. Some of us suffering more than others, but we all suffer trials in the world. We all suffer from temptations. But James is giving us the key, the the answer of how we get through those trials and through those temptations. He said we get through them by choosing joy. But that's not all he says. If we jump back to verse 3. James, again in verse two, he has just told them that they have to choose joy and then he starts to tell them why. But before he gets to the topic of of perseverance, he says something that we often overlook because we read so fast. He says in verse three, he says, because you know, there's that word, know, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. He says, we know, we understand And then verse four, James tells them that that perseverance makes us mature and complete. And then he ends that verse by stating that we don't lack anything. But then look at verse five. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. So if we piece this together, James is saying that the key, the the answer is found in wisdom or knowledge. We know that we will all suffer trials and temptations. We know that we cannot blame God for it because temptations happen within us and trials happen to everyone. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 45, that God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends his reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. And knowing all of this, we should then choose joy. And the reason we choose to be joyful is because we have the wisdom and the knowledge to understand why this happens to us and what it produces in us. And James says, and if you don't yet have that understanding, then ask God for it and he will give you the wisdom that you need. The key to perseverance is wisdom. When we understand the why, when we have the wisdom of God, when we can see the bigger picture of life, we will then have the strength to choose to be joyful. And all of this is possible because of God. Look at what James says in verse 16 through 18. He says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. God is the source of life and the source of all good things, which means that God is ultimately responsible for all good things in our life. 
And James says that there is no shadow of a doubt in God, meaning that there is no change in the character of God. There's no inconsistency in the character of God. In fact, just as desire gives birth to sin and sin gives birth to death, God, in a completely opposite way, gives us birth through the word of truth. And not only does he do this for us, but he chose to give us this birth. This wasn't an, an afterthought. God was deliberate in doing this for us. At some point in life, every person will go through a trial or through a temptation. And some people experience trials that are bigger than others. But there's a difference between one that follows Jesus while going through this trial or temptation versus one that doesn't follow Jesus. The difference is that those who follow Jesus and who have this wisdom, they will have both the understanding to choose joy, but they will also have someone to lean on for strength and comfort. That is Jesus. The difference is that those who follow Jesus, they have the ability to find joy through the pain because they have the knowledge and the wisdom of God. When we go through trials, we have a choice to make. We can choose to focus on the negative and the suffering or we can begin to choose joy. And we can choose joy because we have the wisdom we need. And if we don't yet have that wisdom, all we have to do is ask God for it. Because the truth here is that this is all possible because of God. God is not the reason that we suffer, but yet through the suffering, God uses all things for the good of those who love him. Through the suffering, God gives us the strength to continue the fight, to persevere. It is through the suffering that God gives us the wisdom and the ability to choose to be joyful. It is through the suffering that God is able to make us mature and to make us reflect his image. According to James, he says that perfection is the goal and perfection means that, that we are transformed into the image of Christ. And so James is saying that perfection is the goal and perseverance is the only way to get there. And the only way that we persevere is by choosing to be joyful. So how do we choose joy? How do we choose joy when we are faced with temptations or when we are faced with hard situations? When we are faced with temptations, we remember with our knowledge, we remember 1 Corinthians 10, 13. That reads, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Every single time that we have a temptation to sin or to do something that we shouldn't do, there's always a way out. And so when we are tempted, the way that we choose joy is by remembering that there is a way out. 
I've heard countless stories of people that were in the middle of, of trying to decide whether or not to do this sinful act or not. And somebody calls them and says, hey, what are you doing? And it just happened to be this coincidence that it was at that perfect time that they needed or you're about to do something you, you shouldn't and you happen to look over and you see something that reminds you that, hey, you are stronger than this. You can say no, you can push through. There is always a way out, always a way to say no and to overcome that temptation. And when we are faced with hard situations, we choose joy by, by remembering things. Now, I want to back up for a moment. I hear people say all the time that God won't give us more than we can handle. It's a common phrase that people say all the time. And unfortunately, I have to tell you that that is not biblical. That is found nowhere in scripture. That is not true. Casey, can you back up for a moment to 1 Corinthians 10, 13? This is where they get that phrase from. Where it says that God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And so people have taken this verse and, and taken it out of context and says that God won't give you more than you can handle. But in fact, all he's talking about here is temptation. Anytime you are tempted, any temptation that you have is never beyond what you can endure. Never beyond your ability to say no. But sometimes in life, we go through things that are more than we can handle. I'm talking about trials. Sometimes things happen to us that are beyond what we can bear. So what do we do? We remember 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. It's Paul writing. And he says, rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The, the way that we choose joy in hard situations is we do these three things. First, we rejoice always. A way that we can rejoice is by singing worship songs back to God, by praising him. We sang a song this morning about rejoicing in the Lord. We can always find something good to focus on. I have a, a friend that uh, he's been one of my mentors for several years. And when I first started meeting with him, he, you know, the typical like, hey, how are you doing? I haven't seen you in a couple of months. And his response always used to irritate me. He said, well, I'm upright and mobile. And, and it used to drive me crazy that he would say that. But now as I've been going through stuff, that is actually a joy that I can rejoice in. I am upright and mobile. So yes, let's praise God that we are upright and mobile. Everybody here today had walked into here. So you are all upright and mobile. You all have something to rejoice in. And if you can't find anything to rejoice in, if you cannot find something good, then just recite Psalm 118, 24, that this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. If nothing else, we can be thankful for another day given to us by God. There's always something to be joyful. And so we choose joy by finding something to be joyful about. 
The second thing we do is we pray continually. We pray for wisdom like James told us. We pray for strength. We pray for God to help us see the bigger picture. We pray for other people. We always pray. We never stop. And so the second way that we choose joy is by continually praying in everything that we do, in every situation, good, bad, it doesn't matter. We always pray. And in that moment, we are choosing joy because we are now connected to the Father, to Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And the third thing that we do is we give thanks in all circumstances, This is similar to the first one that that we not only recognize the good things that we have in our life, but we give thanks to them. Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you, God, for allowing me to walk today. Thank you, God, for this food that I am about to eat. We choose joy by giving thanks to God. And while there are many more examples of how to choose joy, these are a great place to start. We always look for a way out when we are experiencing temptation. That is how we choose joy when we are being tempted. We look for that way out. And when we're experiencing a trial, we we find something to rejoice about, something to be joyful for. We always pray and then we always give thanks back to God who deserves all the credit. In other words, in all of these situations, the way that we choose joy is by looking to Jesus as our source. Some of you in this room are going through a trial. Some of you are dealing with temptations. Some of you are suffering. And we all have, in some way, gone through trials and temptations. And unfortunately, we will continue to go through trials and temptations. But every time that we choose joy, every time that we push through the struggle, every time that we say no to that temptation and and overcome it, every time that we persevere and come out on the end, we have slowly been changed more into the image of Christ. And that means the next time we hit that trial, the next time we hit that temptation, it'll be easier to say no. It'll be easier to choose joy and to keep pushing through. And this is only possible because God is never changing. We are constantly be changed into his image, but God is never changing. God is dependable. God is with us. He is giving us this gift of wisdom and of this new birth. So for those of you that are suffering and going through a trial, God is with you. God gives you the strength and the wisdom you need to push through. So don't give up. The truth is that you don't go through it alone. God is with you and we are with you. It is through our perseverance that God refines us like silver We stay in this intense heat until we reflect his image. So hold out a little while longer so that you may reflect the image of Christ. Let's pray. God, you deserve all the credit and the glory. God, this morning we admit 
that sometimes we get impatient. That sometimes we cry out and say, God, why me? How much longer? Father, I ask that you would give us all the wisdom to see the bigger picture, to see the ways that you are refining us like silver, the ways that you are changing us into your image. Help us see that bigger picture so that we can understand, so that we can begin to find joy through the suffering. God, we thank you for sending your son to die on a cross, to suffer for us. He died on the cross to take away our sins. He paid the price. And so now we have, as Hebrews says, a mediator that understands what we are going through. So Father, may we be a people that surrender to you, that share our burden with you. Help us choose joy. Help us grow into your image. Father, we pray all of this in your mighty and wonderful name. Amen. My challenge for you this week is to begin praying for God to give you the wisdom to see the bigger picture of your life. I would encourage those that like to journal to go back and just write down your story. As far back as you can remember, write down the events that have happened. And I guarantee you that if you write those down and you find every time in your life where you have struggled in some way, I bet that if you look, you will see how God made you stronger through that and how God changed you into his image through that. Thanks for joining us today. We would love to continue the conversation and connect with you. Comment, like, subscribe, follow us on the socials at rnaschurch or our website, rnaz.church.